With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Cain Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. No! Oh, my God! Charles Darwin. The nerves is where it's at. Welcome everybody back into Nerd Sesh. As always, I'm Carson Brabber and alongside me is Logan Camden. And today is a Wednesday, which means even amid the mayhem that is these NBA playoffs, we've got to talk some NBA basketball with you all. So we're going to do just that. And we have a pretty fun format for today, I think. It's our NBA contender tier rankings. So, obviously, we'll be categorizing teams into tiers as we see fit, but we're not going to talk about teams that aren't really playoff caliber. We're only talking about the top half of the league, and from there, we'll segment them into the appropriate category. So, Logan, would you like to start from the top or the bottom here of our tiers? It's a great question. Probably should have done that before the pod. Yeah, let's start from the bottom, I say. Work our way up. More fun. Started from the bottom. Now we're here. Shout out my man, Drake. Nice. Um, So, solid teams. I want to get something on the table. Because, you know, these are just like fringe playoff teams. You know, teams that are probably going to be there. Should I X out the teams that I don't think are going to make the playoffs? I would say playoff caliber teams okay. are what we're talking I have, I believe, 18 teams in total represented here. So those are teams that will be in the play-in, but not necessarily, obviously, all of them in the real playoff. I would just say go with what you feel more. As as opposed to the hard amount of playoff spots, go with where you think the drop-off occurs. Okay, I have nine teams uh, in this tier. Uh, The Hornets, Raptors, Celtics, Wizards, Knicks, Hawks, Clippers, Lakers, and T-Wolves. Maybe a little too many. I'll start with the team at the bottom here, and that's the Hawks. A lot of people, I think, are really underestimating the Hawks the rest of this way, man. I, I think that, I, I honestly, I wanted to put the Hawks in like another tier of like a team that I thought could maybe have a playoff upset, but thinking about where they're going to be um, with the play-in, with this format, you know, they're going to be somewhere in that 7 to 10 range, ultimately. I don't know if they can crack that top six. And so, um, I, I don't think that they can win a playoff series, obviously, because they're going to be matched up against one or two out west. 
I mean, out east. And I just think that's a little too much to ask out of them. But I do think they are criminally underrated right now. Last four games, when the Hawks have been league average defensively, 4-0, they're second in offensive rating. They're also second in offensive rating on the season. They have been shooting lights out from deep. I just think this is a team that has the capacity to go on a run and really be impressive the rest of the way. But I don't think they can win a playoff series. And honestly, I think that applies to a lot of the other teams in this tier, you know, like I like the Celtics defensively a lot, but I just, again, it's a little too much two-man action. Um, the Raptors, I really like their story. They're a pretty good defensive team. There's just not a whole lot, there's not enough offensive talent. Like ultimately, the, these are all really, really solid teams that on a given night can win an individual game, but I don't expect them to win a series. Uh, do you want to go team by team here or do you want to go overarching? What are you feeling the rest of the way? We don't necessarily have to talk in depth about every one of these teams. I say, let's look at what stands out to us, teams that are intriguing out of this group, and let's just talk about those. The Clippers, I feel like, too, are are interesting in the sense that a one. Holy hell, dude. How often do you see a 35-point comeback? That was crazy the other night. Luke Kennard, my player comp. I hit that four-point play and won the game. That was a nuts game just to come back from the uh, against the Wizards. Um, the Clippers, I really thought, would be an upset potential team or a team that had the capacity to make a run. Now with the injury to Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, they have been bumped down a tier for me. Um, the Lakers are another interesting team just because of all the drama that we have seen going on uh, with this team. Um, you know, I, I feel like Frank Vogel, his days are numbered here. I feel like we're going to see some sort of you know, kind of mix up at the trade deadline if that's moving a few assets. I don't think the Lakers can win a playoff series, though. I think that's kind of out of the question. Again, with how deep the West is and how good they are at the top, if they get matched up with the buzzsaw that is the Suns, that is the Warriors, that is the Utah Jazz, that even is the Memphis Grizzlies, I don't see the Lakers winning a playoff series. And I think, like I said, man, I think that kind of goes for every team in this tier. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think any of them have a chance or a prayer at winning a playoff series. So, my tier, which is titled Solid, is very similar to yours. It's the Hornets, the Nuggets, the Raptors, the T-Wolves, the Lakers, the Celtics, and the Clippers. You made a face at something there. What was it? Interesting. I have the Nuggets in a a tier above. Okay. Well, that'll be a fun team to talk about. We'll wait until you have them on your list. When it comes to the Hawks, I actually think that they, by the end of the year, will likely be have earned their position in this tier. I mean, this is still the number two offense in basketball. Like, it has been an incredibly impressive unit on that end and obviously is a really talented team overall. The performance on the season just hasn't been there, but realistically, I definitely view them in the same tier as these other teams. But there are a couple who you have included here who I'm not sure I would put in this tier. The Wizards right now, I just think, have regressed so significantly that I don't think they belong here right now. And the Knicks, I'm really conflicted about, dude. Mm -hmm. Like, again, on paper, this is a team that obviously is every bit the equal of the teams in this tier and a group that I thought coming into the year was going to progress. And I thought that they had a really good offseason. And obviously, we know what they were in the early goings of the year. It's just... When your primary offensive options are so inconsistent and inefficient, and I really do like the depth, but I just don't know if it's enough to carry this team at this point. And the results have just been so unimpressive. Like, at the end of the day, 
Every team who I have in this tier has been better than the New York Knicks. And as a matter of projection, sure, the Knicks could and maybe even should be better than some of these groups, but we just haven't seen it. So I think I feel pretty good about most of these teams being in this tier. The closest one I would have had to moving up would be the Hornets, just because I think offensively they're the best out of this bunch and they have so much balance there and they've been the number six offensive basketball this year. Shooting's phenomenal, multiple creators and playmakers. I just think their defensive issues are really holding them back. They're 26th in defensive rating and just not a lot of positive guys on that end of the floor for them. And then the two teams that I would probably be closest to having off, I actually think still belong here. The Clippers... I am saying with Paul George belong in this tier because he will be back. Defensively, they've been outstanding this year. Sixth in defensive rating, and they've won a lot of games on the back of that. Offensively, though, it has been a slog. And they're 27th there right now. I would like to say PG significantly takes that up a notch, but he really didn't when he was healthy. They were in the 20s all year. He's been playing the most inefficient basketball of his career. So I just think it's difficult for them to create good offense in LA right now. Like the machine that they had created with PG and Kawhi just does not work when even one of those pieces is missing. Unless PG is playing at an unbelievable level like he was in the playoffs after Kawhi got hurt last year, which he just hasn't been doing this year. And then you look at the other guys who have to step up as creators and it's just a lot of Reggie Jackson and it's tough. But I still think when they've reached this defensive ceiling, we know what their shooting can be. We know what PG can be when he's at his best. They're certainly a solid playoff team. And the Celtics, I guess I just don't really ever want to reward them when they're underachieving, but they are 100% of the caliber as these other teams when it comes to actual basketball. Defensively have been excellent and a pair of star caliber wings, and they're just fine. I mean, they're obviously not as good as they would have hoped to be given where they were at a couple years ago, but they're okay. And then everybody else I feel is pretty solidly in this tier. I agree with you on the Lakers ceiling. We'll see if Anthony Davis changes things, but he didn't from what we saw this year. And T-Wolves, I think, honestly, are a top three team in this tier. I mean, with the defensive level that we've seen from them and with what Ant and Cat have been doing. And I tweeted this out the other day, but when either of those guys on the floor, they play at a level that's equivalent to like a 50 plus win team. Those dudes are legitimate stars. Raptors, I think obviously we have just seen behind Fred Van Vliet and with their level of depth, that's a really solid team. So I think that largely there's agreement here. If the Timberwolves somehow leapfrogged like the Nuggets, could you see them potentially upsetting a team like Memphis? Potentially? I just think it's a really tall task because I think there's a different level of offensive depth Mm -hmm. in Memphis. Like, you just know how overwhelmingly reliant the T-Wolves are going to be on their big three offensively. And D'Lo, I don't think, as a player, belongs in that same category as far as his ability. But as far as the volume, Mm -hmm. he is going to be on par with cat and ant and so that's a little bit concerning to me but I do think their depth defensively obviously and what they're getting from guys like Jared Vanderbilt and Jade McDaniels mm-hmm. on that end is really valuable I just don't know if the effortless offense is there at the level that it would need to be 
and I definitely don't think they're beating any of the top four seeds out west besides the Grizzlies, but I still think they would be a significant underdog in a matchup like that. Yeah, I think I would largely agree, although I think that's a really interesting matchup. I think whoever draws Memphis is going to be a really good series. And again, no hate on Memphis, but it's just, you know, when you look at the star talent compared uh, to elsewhere across the league, there is a little bit of a drop-off. But again, Memphis' depth is great. I do think you identified the two teams that um, maybe don't belong in this tier. Washington, dude. I pity Wizards fans. You get, It's just an endless cycle of pain for, for DC, man. The hot start, I mean, we predicted it. We said the entire time that this was unsustainable, that this was not going to last, that the bottom was going to fall out. Again, especially when Bradley Beal has been so up and down this season. Um, Spencer Dinwiddie, man. I was wrong about Dinwiddie. Good call, bro. Carson told me uh, a while back on the pod about Spencer Dinwiddie's deficiencies, and man, they've come to fruition, dude. Late game scenarios, tries to go isolation. Getting a little too bit in the weeds on the Wizards, but it's been bad, man. A lot of blown leads late in games, man. A lot of just choke jobs against Boston, against LA, a blowout against Boston. Like, it has been, it's been some really ugly basketball and just a lot of choke jobs for DC. So I think that's a compelling argument. The Knicks, too. It's been bad. We have seen the really bad side of Julius Randle's regression, man. Not a whole lot of shooters, not a whole lot of uh, floor spacers here in New York. So I agree. If there's going to be two teams that get the axe here out of this this group, it is D.C. and New York. I believe that the Wizards are now 23rd in net rating. Like, it's really been quite the fall-off for them. So, yeah, I just think that what you see is all of these teams are in some way fundamentally flawed Mm -hmm. like every team has had significant issues on one side of the ball or the other and I guess the one spot where we might disagree on that where I would say there is a fundamental flaw maybe you would say that there isn't because we have them in different tiers is the Denver Nuggets and I guess the issue here actually is if this is our contender tiers what are the Nuggets going to look like when -hmm. it comes playoff time Well, they're going to look a lot better. Like, there's talk about MPJ maybe coming back off of back surgery. I don't know how much you can count on that. But Jamal Murray will be back for the playoffs. And even if he isn't himself, that's enough to bump them into another tier. So, if that's our criteria, like, are we thinking about when we come to the playoffs? That's how I did it, yeah. All right, I'm bumping the Nuggets up a tier then. Um. Yeah, so my next tier, uh, we go from, you know, solid teams. My next tier is playoff locks, teams who are locks to be here, and then upset potential. Because, like I said, I don't think that any of the teams in the tier below, even if they make the playoffs, I don't think they have a chance at winning a playoff series. And these are teams that I wouldn't, I likely, again, this may change when it comes to playoff time. We don't know how teams are going to look. These are teams that I don't expect to win playoff series, but teams that maybe could somehow, mm-hmm. some way, pull it out. The Nuggets, I think, have to be here. Again, especially with what I just laid out with whoever lands the Grizzlies. And I hate to pick on them, but that, oh, I'm, I am, I'm like, I'm foaming at the mouth. I'm rabid for a series like that. Denver versus Memphis, that sounds awesome, dude. The depth that Memphis has, I mean, it's, it's polar opposites, right? It's the team with the best depth, arguably, in the NBA versus the team with the least depth in the NBA that is so reliant on their star power to carry them through in Nikola Jokic. And again, like you said, come playoff time, if Nuggets can just eke out and stay in that 6-5 to five spot and you know pull out this potential matchup, a semi-healthy MPJ, if he can give you 
Again, he was ass earlier in this year, even when he was healthy. If he can give you 15 to 16, if Jamal can give you 18 to 20, and if Jokic can carry you through, again, you're still contingent on the bench giving you, because the bench is just so horrible when Jokic isn't out there. If the bench can be solid, then I think that maybe you could get a an upset for the Nuggets. Again, man, Jokic is just that kind of special. I mean, you've seen what he's been able to do with no one else out there. I'm just never counting that guy out of a playoff series, so I think there's a chance. And again, they're going to be they're going to look drastically different come playoff time. So I think it's I think they deserve to be in this tier. They're at the bottom of this tier, but I think they deserve to be there. I agree. Again, it's tough to quantify this exactly because we don't know who's going to be available. I'm not counting on MPJ really being anything, but I am counting on Jamal Murray being 80-plus percent of himself. I mean, just given the history that we've seen now with people recovering from basically any injury, especially when they are young and don't have terrible past histories, it's very encouraging. And when Nikola Jokic has been on the floor, the Nuggets have played as the best team in basketball. Like, it's the most ridiculous thing on the planet, but they outscore opponents by 9.7 points per 100 possessions. I'm pretty sure that's better than the Nucks, than the Bucks with Giannis. At least it was a few days ago. His on-off differential is now plus 22.8, which I believe is the best I have seen, at least from any MVP, since this stat came into existence in 1996. It's one of the greatest seasons of all time. But also, I mean, the team around him is just not good. The bench has been an utter disaster Early on in the year, this team was really flying around defensively, and I thought maybe they could achieve a different ceiling as a team because of that. But I would say overall, they're really just more average on that end. And it's just a slog outside of Jokic. Mm -hmm. Jamal does really change that dynamic because now you have another, I mean, significantly, obviously, different than Jokic as far as their caliber as a player. But you have a guy who, when he's right, is a star-level Incredibly intimidating perimeter scoring threat, be it out of isolation, be it out of the pick and roll, a guy who can kill you from all three levels, who we've seen at times really play make at a high level. And importantly, it just means you have to play one less crummy guy and you have to rely less on Bones Highland to give you 20 minutes a night. Mm -hmm. And Zeke Naji, like these are young guys who I like, but they're just being asked to do a ridiculous amount because this team is in such a bad spot. I do think the Bryn Forbes addition will help them long-term, and I think MPJ being back changes a lot for this team. However, early in the year, I thought this could be the best Nuggets team ever because I was like, Jokic obviously is playing as the best player in the world. You're going to get Jamal Murray back, and I thought you're going to have MPJ as what he was last year with maybe some improved defense. That was going to be an amazing Nuggets team. I don't think you can bank on that anymore. And also, I just think the toll on Jokic in an individual playoff series is going to be so unsustainable. Mm -hmm. Like, he will have to play 40 minutes a night, and he will have to put up his regular season production and some. Mm -hmm. Like, the dude's putting up 26, 14, and 7.5 and and 33 minutes a game. Lord knows what he could do in 40. But that's just such a burden, and I don't think it compares to what anybody else in basketball has right now. Maybe I'm slightly overestimating it because... Jamal Murray does alleviate some of that pressure. And Lord knows playoff Jamal Murray, as we've seen the two times he's been there so far, he's a different beast than regular season Jamal Murray. They're just a really flawed team. Yeah, again, not to mention on stupid efficiency too. Like, oh, some of the best we've ever seen, yeah. It's crazy. Um, 
the next team I have in this tier are the Dallas Mavericks. Again, locked to make the playoffs. And again, man, like, slight upset potential. I think people forget because, the you know, again, we're so short-sighted. We are so result-oriented based in how we base our opinions. Like, people forget they could have beat the Clippers. And the shooting that they had at the start of that series was crazy. So, I mean, Luka is not playing his best basketball. There's improved shooting from last season into this season. Do I think that the Mavs could feasibly get hot for four games, shoot 40-plus percent from deep, and knock a team off? Hell yeah, I can. And again, I think Luka is going to play himself into, not back into the MVP conversation or anything like that, but he's going to play back up to that level that he was at last season. So I'm going to look at the standings real quick, where they would be at. If the season ended today, they would be matched up against Utah, And I don't think that, I don't think they'd win in that series. I wouldn't just outright call it, again, because I just like the depth in Utah that much more. But the Mavs are a team that are constructed well enough to where they can can expose Rudy Gobert again. And that's why I don't have the Jazz in my, you know, contender favorite hierarchy. I have the Jazz in just a tier below in championship contenders, but they're not a front runner for me because of Rudy Gobert and how you can expose him in the playoffs. And a hypothetical matchup like that Hell yeah, I can see the Mavs playing him off the floor. They go five guys who can space the floor. They go five out. They let Luka go to work, and they knock down shots behind the perimeter. Again, it's not the likely outcome, but can I see it happening? Hell yeah. Like, this team is one of the best shooting-constructed teams around Luka, Uh, just shooting teams in general. They can get hot, and so... Again, like the Nuggets, there's a massive burden on Luka Doncic to play damn near perfect basketball in a playoff series for this to happen. There's a massive burden on Kristaps Porzingis showing up each and every game and shooting lights out for us to happen. And there's a massive burden on everybody on this roster to knock down their shots. But there is a world in which I see the Mavericks finally getting over this first round hump and winning a playoff series. They 100% belong in this tier. And uh, this is not... Uh, an instance in which it's totally based off of what they've done. I think this is very much projecting to what they could and should be because what we have seen from the Dallas Mavericks this year is remarkable defensive improvement. Like if you thought that was going to be the thing holding this team back, it has been the thing keeping them afloat. They're fifth in defensive rating. They have been up there for the best defense in the league for like the past 20 or so games, in my opinion, so locked in on that end. And that's carrying them to a lot of wins. They're 11-3 and since New Year's Eve. And if you just look at what the Mavs have been historically, obviously, two years ago, they were the greatest offense ever at the time. Last year, Luka was the greatest offensive 21-year-old we'd ever seen. The year before that, he was the greatest offensive 20-year-old we had ever seen. So for Luka right now to be what he has been, where he's been so inefficient, and the Mavs as a team have been 22nd in offensive rating, and they've been better without him on the floor as far as on-off splits, even though they are 21-12 and in the games that he plays, which is still quite a good record. You just have to think everything will get better. Like, I do not believe that Luka regressed from the best player we had ever seen at his age in consecutive years, one of the most complete and remarkable offensive players on the planet, and a guy who averaged 35-10 and in last year's playoffs on absurd efficiency, and almost carried his team to a playoff series Mm -hmm. victory against a more complete 
group just because he was that incredible remarkable, like that incredible individually. Had people talking about if he was the best player in the world. That guy doesn't regress to like borderline all-star level like he has been this year. And yes, I think there have been issues as far as engagement and fitness. I just can't imagine that remaining a major issue for him towards the home stretch of the year. And then also like you just have to look at the shooting numbers that are uncharacteristic. Like the Mavs are 26th in three-point percentage right now. That's their identity as a team historically in a lot of ways is mm-hmm. Luka's going to create a ton of good looks from deep. The shooters around him are going to knock them down at super high volume. Like they've consistently been up towards the top of the league in threes made. And you just look at all the guys having uncharacteristically bad years. Tim Hardaway Jr. is below 34%. Reggie Bullock is 31%. Luka is below 30%. KP is 28%. The law of averages just has to work in their favor there. So because I do think this defensive improvement is real, and I do think they are extremely committed on that end of the floor, just given the fact we have seen basically this exact roster compete at a very high level in playoff series and create amazing offense, and we've seen Luka play like a top five dude on the planet, and we know that Jalen Brunson is going to be one of the best like secondary ball handlers and guys to run a second unit that you could ask for in the NBA. They have to be like the prime candidate to get better as this year goes along. They just have to. They're already winning a lot more, and it's still not on the back of good offense. Yeah, and that's all I was going to add is another key difference from last year to this year is Jalen Brunson's improvement. I trust him when Luka needs a break in a playoff series to take over and to run this offense and to run it damn well because he did it when Luka was out. Like, I go, that was a great take. That was well said, bro. I completely agree. And if I'm going to pick a team to have an upset, you're damn right it's probably going to be the Mavericks. The, the shooting is insane that they have had this drop-off, and it's not because they're not good shooters. I trust Hardaway, Kleba, Porzingis, even Finney Smith, Bullock. I trust them all to be able to swing a series and to shoot damn near 40%. I completely agree, bro. Let me just elaborate a little bit more here. I mentioned they're 11 and 3 since New Year's Eve. They have done that while still playing as the number 24 offense in basketball and while shooting the ball at sub 33% from deep, which is 25th over that time. I just don't believe that those are the numbers that we're going to see sustained mm-hmm. from the Dallas Mavericks based on what they have been and based on their personnel. And a lot of this is just going to hinge with Luka getting his act together. But Am I comfortable betting on Luka to get his act together? I am, given that he's one of the most talented players that we've ever seen. So 100%, the Mavs have not been a ton of fun to watch this year. I've been thoroughly disappointed by Luka Doncic, but you have to look at just what has normally defined this team, where things are trending, and I think a lot of those indicate that the Mavs are going to be scarier once we come to the playoffs. Yeah, well said. Um... The next team that I have in this tier, I'm I'm conflicted. I think I'm going to go with the Cavs. It's between the Cavs and the Sixers, and I really like this Cavs defense, man. And I really trust this Cavs defense to be stifling come playoff time. I mean, they have been elite. Um, Mobley is third in contested shots per game. Allen is fifth in contested shots per game. Me and Carson both have Jared Allen as an all-star of this season. What he has been able to do and how he's been able to anchor this defense while being super efficient. It's, it's crazy. I, 
So I trust this defense to be great all season long. I really like this bench too. Okoro, K-Love, like uh, the acquisition of Rondo has been massive. Like the guy, I I don't know. I really like what Rubio and Rondo have done in, in Cleveland this year and shown the value of just having a, just a really smart floor general out there at all times. Really old school throwback style. I don't think the Cavs are going to upset a team. And there's just such a burden on Darius Garland as the only high-level, late-game, reliable perimeter creator here that I think is ultimately going to hold them back. You know, I mean, like, even if they had a guy like Colin Sexton here, I I don't know if he helps that out a whole lot. That's kind of my only knock on the Cavs, man. They have been, they have shot the pill exceptionally well this season, although they're not a great offensive unit. I just think when it comes down to it, I think there's just a little too much. When you need an isolation bucket, I think it's going to be a little too much on Darius Garland to carry this team through a playoff series. He has been exceptional. He's at nearly 20-8 and this season, 46-36 splits. I just think that's kind of the distinction for me, man. I expect this team to be great defensively, but I just... I think there's just a little too much on the back of Darius Garland for them to carry it through when... So honestly, if I'm going based off teams likely for a playoff upset, I think I would reorder this and probably have the Cavs at the bottom, Nuggets next, Mavs next, and then I'd have the Sixers on top of my playoff lock, playoff upset tier. And honestly, I might actually bump the Sixers up to this next tier. Maybe I'm, I'm really debating it. The Sixers have been excellent as of late. Embiid has been playing great basketball, so yeah. Cavs, Mavs, or Cavs, Nuggets, Mavs, and then the Sixers are on the fringe. I'll make that case in a minute. But yeah, I think the Cavs are definitively, just because of the burden on Garland as the only high-level perimeter creator, are definitively at the bottom of my playoff lock slash upset uh, tier. So I have the Cavs here too, and I will say I like how you've branded your tier. I feel very similarly about mine overall. I'm just calling it the very good tier, and the reason for that is I have one last team that I don't think quite fits in the playoff upset category for reasons that I'll talk about. I think that you said it really well. I just think this is an elite team defensively that has done so many things better than expected. And I mean, they have two all defense guys in their front court and they do have some nice balance offensively. And what we've seen from like Kevin Love has been really impressive and surviving the Rubio loss Mm -hmm. has been extremely impressive. And Lord knows I love Darius Garland. It's just There's a level of dynamism offensively that I feel is limiting here. And I just, it's not an overly dynamic shooting team. They're fine in that respect from beyond the arc, but they're lacking really exceptional one-on-one perimeter creators. And I feel like they're just a bit of an overachieving regular season team and that they are so locked in defensively and they are so committed to playing hard And I give them all the credit in the world for that. And I still think they will be very respectable come playoff time. I just don't see the same offensive ceiling. And so it's tough for me to see them winning a playoff series against one of those top four teams out East. Like, I just think there's a bit of a talent gap still at this point. And nobody else is relying on Darius Garland to be their offensive energy. It's not just that. It's the drop-off from Garland to Mm -hmm. their next perimeter guy, certainly. But even their interior guys. I mean, Allen, so much of what he does is created by Garland and just efficient opportunities within this offense. And then Mobley, I mean, the guy obviously has a lot of game offensively. 
but he's not more than a semi-efficient 14-point-per-game scorer. So it's just a little bit tough for me to see. I have one last team in my very good tier, and maybe you will think this is a little bit disrespectful. I have the Memphis Grizzlies here, and they are a team that by record would suggest that they belong higher, and I really do think that they are quite good. I mean, they have the third best record in basketball right now at 32 and 17 and have been a top 10 group on both ends. And I think they're really deep. I think that they are led by a legitimate star kind of guy in John Morant. Maybe not totally on the caliber as far as winning impact, in my opinion, as the best player on some of these other teams who I have higher. But nevertheless, I mean, clearly a top 20 guy in the NBA at this point. What we've seen out of Desmond Bain has obviously been remarkable. They have balance offensively. Defensively, Know we know that they're committed. It's almost hard for me to quantify why I don't quite have the Grizzlies on the same level as my mm-hmm. other tiers. There's just like, with everybody else, I feel comfortable saying they are straight-up contenders. And I don't feel comfortable saying that about the Grizzlies. And I don't know if part of it is related with the fact that we just haven't seen offense as efficient from them in years past and their offense has regressed a bit as this year has gone along part of it maybe if I wonder if there's just a really large burden on jaw come playoff time Mm -hmm. maybe sometimes he even overexerts himself on the game and I don't know if I trust him to be super efficient part of it maybe I don't know if I trust like Triple J to be an impact guy. I just find myself looking at this team and thinking there are more things that I'm a little bit skeptical of. And again, I do feel like it's kind of a thrive in the regular season, play really hard, get contributions from a bunch of guys, play both ends, and you're going to win a lot of games team. I think they're really good. I think they are the best team in this tier, but I do still have them in this tier. Yeah, I... I might, my next tier is fringe championship contenders. And I, I, I don't know if I can put Memphis there. That's what I'm saying. It's it, just like a feeling for me in part. It really is. I, I completely agree. Because if you look at any, that's the thing, man. That's, that's the double-edged sword of Memphis. Is honestly, like they're number one in blocks. They're number one in, like all the hustle stats, rebounds, uh, deflections. Like the Grizzlies are at the top of them all. And so, defensively, like, I think they could exert their pressure on any team they run into. If they get out of the first round, which, again, is going to be tough because of their limitations offensively. You talk about the offensive regression. There is going to be a massive load on Ja. Triple J is still below 32% from deep this season. You can't have that from a guy who does most of his work from the perimeter. And, again, who plays off-ball when Ja is out there. Um, Dylan Brooks is below 33% from deep. You can't have that come playoff time. So there's a lot of red flags offensively. But the opposite of that is if they do get out of the first round, if they take down Denver or if they take down Dallas, I mean, I can see them exerting this pressure on whoever they run into in the second round. If it's Phoenix, if it's Golden State. Like, I don't know, man. There's a world where I can see this team get making a Western Conference Finals run because they're so stifling defensively, but there's also, like you said, dude, there is a huge toll on John Morant 
And, like, he is going to have to play superhuman come playoff time for the Grizzlies to have a chance. And, fuck, man. You convinced me, bro. I think I'm going to... I think I am going to bump them down, and I think I'm going to bump Philly up. If I could also just make a couple other points about stylistically why they might be a little bit primed for playoff regression. Not a volume three-point shooting team. I just think, and not an efficient three-point shooting team, that limits what you can achieve offensively. And we've seen them just utterly dominate the paint. We saw it last year at times where they were like the top paint offense in basketball. Valanchunas was a big part of that. And outside of jaw, you know, they don't have that kind of reliable go-to paint presence this year. And then I just think it's an up-tempo team. They have the second most transition possessions in basketball. Those opportunities will decrease at least slightly come playoff time. And so then you're losing part of your bread and butter Part of what has made this team successful, obviously, for the last few years. And yeah, I mean, over their last 15, even as they're winning a lot, 12-3, and they've been average offensively. Mm -hmm. So I just think, I don't even know if I could call them full-on red flags, because the Grizzlies are really good no matter what. But are they great? Are they title contenders? I just don't think I'm quite comfortable going all the way there. So you've bumped them down a tier now. Let's get into your next tier. I believe that I have three more tiers and you only have two more. That's because I drew some really fine lines between my tiers. Like there was a lot for me of mixing between my top three tiers, really my second and third and considering if I wanted to be two or three tiers or all that. But who do you have in your next tier? Um, so my next two tiers are genuine championship contenders and then just fringe championship contenders. Uh, the two teams I have here are just, I think, so clearly flawed that I just cannot see a world in which they win a title. Um, the, the two teams are the Bulls and the Sixers. Uh, I'll start with the Bulls because I, I honestly think they're below Philly at this point. And I know that may come as a hot take because I picked, I picked Chicago to win the East. Um, I picked, I said that, I don't know, man, I had a lot of faith for in Chicago, but they have just been ravaged by injuries. They are horrendous depth-wise. Um, like, Derek Jones Jr. is going to be out for a bit. I know he's going to be healthy playoff time. You don't have Patrick Williams, your best defender. Um, and... Like, offensively, like, I expect DeMar and Levine to do their thing offensively, but defensively, they have been less than league average. That can't happen. Nikola Vucevic has been completely unreliable the entirety of this season. And, like, just depth-wise, it sucks. And then when you look at the front court, the front court is just my biggest issue, man. I love the guard depth here. I guard depth. I don't know if there's a team deeper than Chicago. Caruso, Lonzo, Kobe. Io has been playing awesome basketball as of late. Front court sucks. Like after losing, after losing Pat, after losing DJJ, now like <laughs> come playoff time, you're gonna be relying on Javante Green to hold it down in the front court for you, man. You're gonna be relying on Troy Brown, and I don't know, man. Matt Thomas, Tony Bradley. Like I just think at some point, like Demar and Levine can win you a series. Um, let me see. Right now, the Bulls are second in the East. That would draw them like. Charlotte, if they drop down to three, they'd be playing the Sixers or the Cavs. Yeah, the Bulls can win a playoff series. There's no way. I would bet. I would bet my house on the Bulls not getting out of the second round. I would bet my house. I would bet this apartment. 
this entire apartment complex. I don't have the rights to this. I would bet Ropo on the fact that I don't expect the Bulls to make the ECF. And, like, it's not a hot take. I just think the Bulls are tremendously flawed. I love them. They're such a good story. Like Carson made a video on them before, they are a smorgasbord of a lot of, a lot of play, uh, pieces and players from across the league making beautiful basketball happen. But injuries defensive-wise and the burden on DeMar and Levine, the lack of depth in the front court, I just think it's kind of... I just think it's kind of telling. And I just don't think that... Yeah, they're fringe championship contenders. I don't think the Bulls are genuine contenders. And so that's why they're in this tier. So we basically have the same idea again with this tier. And we have the same teams. I call this the so close tier. But I think fringe contenders feels about right. These are teams where... Like you said, I can't see them winning the title, but I think they are damn good. And I wouldn't be as critical of the Bulls. I would say really the thing to me has been the defensive regression that we've seen. Because when this team was playing as a top five, top ten defense, that was like, wow. And it's tough because they just have been ravaged by injuries, dude. And that shouldn't be a factor come playoffs. Like... Caruso, Lonzo, these guys are going to be out a matter of weeks. They're not going to be out till the end of the season. And the reports now are that Patrick Williams is trending back towards a return by the playoffs, I believe. So, like, that gives you your three best defenders out there. And you mentioned some of the depth guys who we really have seen step up. Like, I think the Bulls are really, really good, dude. Yes, they've regressed. But a lot of that is just due to terrible misfortune. So I could see them making an Eastern Conference Finals run. It's hard for me to see them making a Finals run or a title run because I just feel like offensively they're really good. But again, I just don't know if they have the same formula for super easy opportunities that a couple of the premier teams out East do. And so to be on that same level, I thought they had to be really, really good defensively as well. And they've just been okay defensively overall on the year. And Vooch has been one of the most disappointing players <laughs> in basketball. Like we really should have talked about it more, but his production and involvement in this offense and his efficiency has just been totally underwhelming. And as an, I guess an anti-Vooch guy historically, I don't know. I would like to say that that's a win, but it's not really because I like watching the Bulls a lot and I would like them to be their best and I do think Vooch is fun to watch I like skilled basketball players but it's just been a bad year for him very much so I want to see the fully healthy Bulls again by the end of this regular season and uh, I'm optimistic I do think they can be really good and they do have problems defensively on the perimeter as far as guys who are problems for opposing lead guards like Caruso and Lonzo are no-brainer all defense caliber guys when they're healthy Patrick Williams flawed still their best big wing option defensively though and so when you pair that with the offensive talent they have the shooting and the depth yes I think that's a really really good basketball team but I can't quite put them in my next tier which is where my bona fide contenders like yeah I'm really confident starts yeah, uh, well said. And, dude, Vooch is just so frustrating, man. The I don't know, man, just how he can go from being so dominant one night. Like, just, like, look at his last five games. You have a 12 for 20 shooting night, 27 points against Boston. You go 2 of 13 against Memphis, 11 of 21 against Cleveland. Then he goes 4 of 19 two games later against Orlando. Like, he is just, just does this disappearing act sometimes, man, and it's really frustrating. And so I do... 
I don't know, though. I guess that's a it's a good question. Like, at full health, do you think Vucevic needs to be... Does Vuce have to show up every single night for the Bulls to make an ECF run? No. I don't think so, because Vuce hasn't showed up consistently <laughs> all year, and they were still out there playing as the one seed in the East. And yeah, it's regular season basketball. But they have a lot of options, dude. They just need him to be better than this. I will say that. But I don't think he has to be like all-star caliber, super consistent, 20 a game. They just need him to be better than this. And there's so many ways to involve him in an offense as a playmaker and DHOs and spacing the floor and post-ups and all these things that he's just got to do a better job. And uh, again, I still think the Bulls are really good, should be really good, but I do have them in this tier. And then... You have the Sixers here. I have the Sixers here. What's the deal with Philly? Philly's interesting, man. I... Embiid has been playing phenomenal basketball, dude. 35, 56, 39 splits. 11 boards a night, 4 assists a game. Embiid has been as dominant as he was last year. I mean, he's shooting the hell out of the pill... And I think, I mean, with their seeding, dude, like Embiid missed a chunk of time where they were just horrendous, man. You're having Andre Drummond out here shooting floaters and throwing behind-the-back passes and stuff. Like, the Sixers had a really rough patch. And if this is them hitting their stride, I don't know, man. I don't... That's a thing. It's just like if they had a... If they had pulled the trigger on a Ben Simmons trade and gotten a high-end creator, like, I think they may be in my genuine championship contender tier. It's just... It's what you said preseason, man. It's just the depth of guards and, like, not having that star guy because depth-wise, they've been great. Um, last 15, Curry's been, like, 15-6. and six. Tyrese has been phenomenal, 15-4. and four. The guard play's been really spread out, and I really... They've just... They've got some dynamic perimeter weapons. They're just not overwhelming enough. I just think there's going to be... There's going to be a huge burden on Embiid. But I think we have to take notice, man. They're seventh in defensive rating over the last 15 games. They are first in offensive rating. By the end of the season, I expect this team to be to be battling for like the five or four seed. If they run into the Bucks, I think they lose. Just because I think that the Bucks are just a better team. If they can somehow swing getting the Cavs or the Bulls, I think they can give themselves a chance. But I just, I think at the end of the day, the lack of having that go-to guy does limit them a little bit. But again, Maxie and Curry have been have been great. Um, and then while we're on the topic, I mean, Matisse Thibel has been phenomenal as ever. Like, I don't know if he's got a depoy case. I, I, all defense for sure. I don't know if he's got depoy, but I don't know, man. The Sixers are right on the cusp of being in that contender tier. I don't know what else they can do to show me. Like, they've been playing kind of perfect Sixers basketball. Like, I think this is the peak of their powers. So, I, I don't know what they could do that could make me change my mind completely and have them as a championship contender because they've been playing perfect basketball. They're really freaking good, but I just I just think they need that second guy. Yeah, I'm pretty much with you here. They're 25-11 and 11 when Embiid plays this year. And, I mean, just to provide further context on the all-world level that he is playing at. He's putting up 35-11-5 this month on better than 64% true shooting. It's the best basketball that he's ever played. Not this year overall, but this month. And now, at this point this year overall, I mean, I think that 
he really has reached the level that he did last year, and he's been better as a playmaker. And, I mean, just his overall evolution as a jump shooter, starting with last year, has been so remarkable. And obviously, he's a super high-impact player defensively. Like, he's just an all-world kind of guy who really will single-handedly make a team, as long as you put pretty good guys around him, a damn good basketball team. And the guard play has been really good, dude. It's been as good as you could have expected with this roster. Like, Maxi has been getting buckets all year pretty efficiently. Seth Curry has been putting on a consistent jump shooting, pick-and-roll clinic. Like, the dude is balling. And I do like their depth. I mean, I think that it's better than we would have expected. Their two-way ceiling is definitely not as high as it was with Ben Simmons, and that's the biggest difference between this team and previous ones where they were a top three defense in basketball. Now they're 12th in defensive rating this year, and I would say are just pretty good on that end. But it's still a pretty high two-way ceiling. I guess my issue would just be we know what has undone this team in the past, and people can look and point at Ben Simmons and say, oh, he's the scapegoat. But at the end of the day, it was a lack of dynamic perimeter creation. They have improved in that respect. However, at the same time, they have regressed from their absolute elite, maybe best in the league level defensively, which just makes me wonder, like, are those things pretty much offsetting and we end up with a team that is of a similar caliber and has just sort of improved in some areas and regressed in others by the addition or addition by subtraction or maybe both addition and addition by subtraction Wait, no. Subtraction. Addition by subtraction of Ben Simmons. Mm -hmm. Frankly, quite confusing what I just said there. I'm just with you. I mean, again, the record is there, and it's a good two-way team. It's just a question of how high is that offensive ceiling and who's producing at that star level outside of Embiid and... You know, Toby is obviously going to get his buckets efficiently enough, but I just don't find him to be a much of a game-changing player in playoff situations like that. So I feel like they belong in the same tier. And honestly, even given the Sixers' record when Embiid plays, I s still feel better about the Bulls' healthy ceiling than I do about the Sixers. All right, so you now have one tier. I very much considered making this one tier. Because I'm drawing a really subtle distinction. These are all, to me, bona fide contenders. But who do you have in this top tier? Actually, maybe I should dictate at this point because I'm the one that has two tiers. So this is my bona fide contenders who I have parentheses some questions about. I'm not doubting these teams. I'm just saying there is a thing or two. We'll start with the Brooklyn Nets, who I think obviously... You look at the ceiling of what they can be offensively, and it's pretty much earth-shattering. And still, even with all the injuries and absences that they have had to go through this year, they're fifth in offensive rating. Defensively, they've regressed from what was a really strong start to the year, but they're 17th there overall, and I think that they have played at a competent enough level to where you would have some faith in them. Although, with all three of their star-level guys out there, you wonder if there are some more issues on that end. But again, I mean, they've gotten to this point without Joe Harris, pretty much without Kyrie Irving, and now KD is hurt. I just think it's been super, super impressive what we've seen from Patty Mills, what we've seen from LaMarcus Aldridge, 
and then just some of the do-it-all contributions that we've seen from their role guys. Like, I really respect what they've put together this year. And when I consider their offensive ceiling with their big three healthy, I mean, they put together the greatest offense ever last year and with Joe Harris healthy too. That's insane. Like, this could very well be a title team. The thing is, when I look at my top three teams and my top tier, I am left essentially without questions. And when I look at the Nets, I question their health, obviously, given the history that we have seen and with KD now being injured. I question their chemistry when you hear that James Harden just wants out. Like, or I'm sorry, that's not exactly what he said, but he's talking openly about wanting to test free agency in the midseason and people are attributing it to Kyrie. That's not a good spot to be in as a team. Kyrie, obviously, is just an entire question mark. Like, I would think at this point, now that we know that the Nets could have just been paying a fine this whole time, that he'll play in playoff games and they'll pay the fine. But I don't know, dude. I don't know what he does to this team overall defensively to, again, chemistry and morale. And even though I do like their role, guys, I I just still wonder if the talent of some of the deeper guys in that group compares to other teams. But again... I, I, that's not really a major point of concern for me because I think those dudes have mostly balled out and have been a major reason that the Nets have stayed afloat this year. So, like, they could 100% move into a different tier and could, you know, end the year as like, hey, I think this is going to be the team that wins it all. But I just wonder about too many things with them right now and I'm just a bit too concerned. And it feels like they could be undone by some of the same things that undid them last year, which was really health, I would say, above all else. But I still think that's going to remain a concern. So Nets are really good. They should be better come playoff time because they'll be healthier. Should be a lot better. I just am left with a few too many questions for me to be fully comfortable. But again, I'm really drawing thin lines in the sand here. And I think the they're probably the team that by the end of the year I would expect to be the best out of this tier, although that's close too. Yeah, I have six teams left to be exact in my you know championship you know genuine contenders tier. We believe the same six teams are the genuine contenders. Okay, I've uh, done the math in my head. Got you. So I have the Nets four here, and like you said, dude, I played with them up to one, like. They're the greatest offensive isolation trio in basketball history when healthy. They're literally the greatest offense of all time when healthy. And if you have a league average defense, which they have been, even with Kyrie out there, which they were much better than in the playoffs last year, and then you look at the playoffs last year, and again, yeah, you're right. You should have a lot of questions about this team. Shit with Kyrie, the chemistry, the health. This is a much improved bench from last year, like you said, dude. And like, that matters. So... They're fourth because of the questions that you laid out. But can I see this team being my championship front runner once more at the end of the season? Hell yeah, I can. So I think you, I mean, I think you summed it up perfect. I have a ton of questions about this team, but at the end of the day, if they're healthy, they are going to be a tough team to pick against come playoff time. 100%. I feel very, very similarly. And I do think it's worth noting how much of what they've done this regular season without Joe Harris because this is like obviously everybody will talk about Kyrie Joe Harris is one of the great guys to just grease the wheels of an offense when you know you have a 45% catch and shooter off ball at all times to lose that and to still be able to produce at such a high level on that end is a testament to obviously the brilliance of Kevin Durant 
Harden, even if he hasn't been playing his best, and Patty Mills, Lamarcus Aldridge, like those dudes are just balling out. And I mean, the gritty role guys, dude, like the Bruce Browns of the world, and what Blake is doing at this stage of his career. I just find myself impressed by a lot of the Brooklyn Nets guys. DeAndre Bembry, obviously. Nick Claxton, when he's been healthy and out there. Like, the role guys really, I do think, are a bright spot, even though it's been a lot of guys who have had to go out there and really prove that they belong. Shut my boy out, too, dude. Dayron Sharp's been getting some burn out there, and he's looked good, too. Yeah, he's no Cam Thomas. All right. So, I'm not going in order within my tiers. Okay, I just have them in tiers. I have the Utah Jazz here as well, and it's tough. The Jazz before the year were my pick to make the finals, as were the Brooklyn Nets. I just think offensively and as a shooting team, the Jazz have been utterly unbelievable this year. They've been the best offense in basketball. Defensively, they've been good. They're just not as good as they were last year. Like... Jordan Clarkson has not been himself. January is going to be the first month this year that he shoots 40% from the field and 33% from three. Those are not high marks. Those are very, very low marks. And so I would expect things to average out with him. He's just really important, I think, to being that sort of little engine off the bench for this offense. Joe Ingles hasn't been quite the same as last year when he was, to me, the sixth man of the year, even above Jordan Clarkson. Like, he still does a lot of good winning things, but his shooting hasn't been quite on the same level. His overall volume hasn't been quite on the same level. And then they're just not at the same level defensively that they have been in recent years. And that's been part of what has made them so remarkable. Like, last year, they were a, I believe, top three team as far as rating, certainly top five on both ends of the floor. And you just looked at them and you said, what is really their issue? It ended up being, actually, not to flex, but as I predicted, the fact that they were exposed by a matchup against the Clippers with Rudy Gobert. That's not enough for me to consistently pick against a team. But I just think... They're just, like, not the same Utah team that we saw last year. They haven't really done anything as well as last year. The argument would be Donovan Mitchell has taken another step, even, I think you could argue... If, you know, his shooting is on par from beyond the arc as far as efficiency compared to last year, like we talked about this, but the floater game development with him, the mid-range game, the finishing, like all of that, he's doing it pretty much a career best level, the playmaking. But I still also just think a little bit in my mind, like I do wonder about the best player on the floor factor and the Jazz are never going to have the best player on the floor in any of these really high stakes series. And so that alone is not enough for me to pick against them because my theory in the past has been, well, regardless of that fact, nobody else is reaching their two-way ceiling, nobody else is reaching their shooting ceiling, and nobody else has eight dudes who I just trust to play exceptionally well this year. But when there's been inconsistency among those eight dudes, even though I do think the addition of Rudy Gay has helped them, and I think that you know that's another legitimate rotation guy who they didn't have last year, I just haven't quite seen enough of what I would have liked to see from the Jazz. I think they, again, I'm drawing thin lines in the sand here between this tier and my absolute top tier. I do think the Jazz can win the title. I really think the Nets can win the title too. Like, I'm not really questioning that. It's just I don't think it's quite as likely 
as it is for a couple other teams. Yeah, I, I think any of these top six teams can win the title. Um, that's yeah. why they're in this tier. I have the Jazz six of six teams right now, though, and uh, I think you identified a lot of it. Uh, the Jordan Clarkson inconsistencies is a major flag. Um, and, like, I also want to shout out Hassan Whiteside. He's been playing really good basketball. Like, my man still has his lapses because it's Hassan Whiteside. But, you know, he's been playing good, productive, efficient basketball. But I think you're right. The defensive falloff, and I get it, a lot of the rating stuff that you're going to look at in recent memory and on the season as a whole is attributed to Rudy Gobert not being on the floor. He changes the game. But that's why they're the sixth team for me is because any series against a good shooting team, I don't... Can you play Gobert? I, I just... I, I genuinely wonder if that is just a persistent issue. And not against, like, the... Because, like, hypothetically, you know, say they play Phoenix. That's not going to be an issue. Right. You know, because they've got DeAndre Ayton out there. Um, I don't think... This is what I will say. Mm-hmm. There is a Western Conference contender who is just playing Gobert off the floor. Because to me, the only two teams that can go punch for punch with the Jazz are the Warriors and the Suns, both of whom are going to play a non-shooter among their best five players, unequivocally. Unless the Warriors play Bihalitsa. Over Draymond Green? He's a game-changer, bro. Yeah, I agree with that. And it's just... And it's, it's tough, man. Because when you watch the Utah Jazz play, it's still fluid. Like, the offense is... So silky. There are so many good shooters and defenders here. But I think I think a little bit of the defensive regression is legit. And I think we have seen those inconsistencies from Jordan Clarkson and other just inconsistencies that we have not seen among every team that I have above them. So right now the Jazz are 6 of 6 on the contender tier for me. But like you said, I can wholeheartedly see this team competing for a championship come June. Okay, so I think... We are going to have the same three teams in the four through six range, but I actually don't know. Maybe I'm wrong about this. I have the Miami Heat as my final team in this tier. I think what they have done is remarkably impressive for where they stand right now. Okay, I can see that I don't think Logan is going to have them in the same tier as I do. To be sitting at the one seed right now when you've had Bam for less than half your games and you've had Jimmy for, I think it's only 29 games at this point. I mean... They have been through so much, and yet they have survived it. And they've been a top eight team on both ends of the floor. Part of this is, again, not that I'm doubting that they can win the title. These are just the teams who I have some questions about. And with the Heat, part of it is I want to see it all together. Now, what I will say is I trust their depth more than expected, and I think that that probably would have been one of the bigger questions about this team coming into the year, what we've seen from guys like Max Struess and Caleb Martin, dudes have been balling out. As far as rotational bigs, Dwayne Dedman's been solid. Omer Yurtseven has been solidly productive, like skilled offensively guy. There's a ton to like about this team. They have the shooting. They have the defensive ceiling. They have multiple creators offensively. I guess the couple things that hold me back are how much do I trust their high-volume star offensive guys to play up to the level of other teams' high-volume star offensive guys. Like, I do think there's a reliance on Tyler Hero that scares me just a little bit when you're talking about against elite teams. Tyler Hero's a bucket. Is he always an efficient bucket? Is he always a super consistent bucket? No. 
Jimmy, I think, obviously, I mean, I love the guy. I think he's an amazing all-around basketball player. Tough for him to go toe-to-toe, in my opinion. Although we saw it, obviously, in their run two years ago. But against some of these truly elite offensive options. Kyle Lowry, we've seen the playmaking. We haven't seen the scoring production and the shooting. So I don't want to be down on the heat. Like, again, for them to be where they are at this point, given everything they've had to overcome, it is remarkable. And I do think they are a team that can win the title. I still just have a couple questions, and I would be very interested in seeing, as this team now is getting actually healthy, how things progress from here. Because I I do think they can be unbelievable. I mean, they won't have any all-stars this year, but they have two all-star caliber players. They have two guys who are in the next tier, in Tyler Hero and Kyle Lowry. And they have shooting, and they have other role guys who have been pretty darn good this year, and they're extremely well coached. So there's a ton to like. You're damn right there's a ton to like. I'll spill the beans. I'll spill the tea. Heat are my title favorite. Call me crazy. Call me cuckoo. Throw me in the loony bin. Let me go hang out with, uh, who is it, Leo DiCaprio? Shutter Island. Can I make just one more point about why? Just a little concern I would have about the Heat. Oh, look at this guy trying to poke holes. No, I I just don't want to disrupt your momentum. Once you get really going, I want to just let you roll here. I would also just point out that I'm a little bit, just a tad concerned about the consistency of Bam's offensive production in the playoffs if you're asking him to be, you know, a consistent top three guy. These are just slight concerns. I'm nitpicking. I think they're a great team. Lord knows I love Bam. Anyways, go ahead. I mean, I think with the addition of Lowry and PJ's production from behind the arc, the step up from the depth, I think you don't have to worry about Bam producing as much. I agree. He's been inefficient this season, but I'm I'm putting all my chips in on the table on the Miami Heat. I said preseason that I thought they would win the finals. I thought they had the highest 3 and D ceiling of any team in the league. They're second in three-point percentage on the season. They're not a high-volume team, but they wet them when they have the opportunities. We can start with the depth that you talked about. I love your seven and Deadman off the bench. I love what we have seen from uh, the other bench guys, too. Struess, Caleb Martin, Kyle Guy. Like, they just got dogs, man. They got guys that grind and work and play hard, efficient, good basketball. And at the top end... I just think, again, man, P.J. Lowry, Bam, Butler, I, I don't think there's a better defensive starting five, the leap that we have seen from Tyler Hero. In isolation, Jimmy is a buck. He may not be a buck from the perimeter, but if you need to go out there and serve a mid-range bucket to go out there and go get downhill and get a layup, Jimmy is a beast in isolation. Hero. Hero does scare me a little bit, I will say, because you're right. Hero does not take the most efficient shots. Like, he will but he's good at making them. And so, like, I guess he scares me a little bit, like, in late-game scenarios, but he's kind of their best perimeter creator with the way Kyle Lowry has played this season. I don't know, though, dude. I just think that this is such a balanced attack with guys that play their roles so well. Um, And Duncan Robinson hasn't even played that great this season. He's shooting 36% from behind the arc. I just still think this team has the highest 3 and D ceiling. I think it is amazing that they are where they're at with all the injuries that they have sustained. They have amazing coaching. They have a great rotation. I'm all in, dude. With the lead that we have seen from Tyler Hero with the additions of Lowry and P.J. Tucker, I'm in. 
I'm in. I'm down to ride. I think the Miami Heat are going to come out of the East, and I think they have a really good chance at winning the title. Uh, so, yeah, I'll, I'll spill it now. The, the Heat are, are my number one out of six. I'm, I'm all in. Wow. I am intrigued by this. I, again, would just like to see a little bit more personally because the thing is, like, even though they've been so good, we haven't really seen it all together. And, like, yeah, you can certainly argue, well, that's more impressive, right? Like, we've seen them do what they've done without really seeing the full machine. That's just a weird spot to be in, I guess, more than halfway through a season. It's not their fault. It's because of health. I just want to see a little bit more to be fully comfortable. Mm -hmm. But it's an interesting take. So in my top, top tier, and again, the line drawn between these two was very subtle, and I considered mixing things up. I have these three teams that I really have very few questions about, and that is the Suns, the Warriors, and the Bucks. Now, if there were one team out of this trio that people could argue there is a question about, I think it would be the Golden State Warriors, and I think it would be their offense, and really their offensive production as of late, because they've slipped to... 12 in offensive rating on the year overall. Obviously, Steph has not produced at his typical level overall this year. I'm just not too worried about it. I I think that we have also seen, obviously, no other offense benefit more from off-ball movement, cutting. I think that inherently so many great threes are created. I trust Draymond Green so much to dictate the flow of this offense. And then... The Warriors, I think, have my favorite role players in the league. I mean, it's unbelievable what those guys have done. Klay Thompson has come back and has largely looked himself offensively, and I think that we'll see his shooting numbers come back to normal. And when that happens, I mean, that's a super impactful guy, even if he's not playing at actual star level. Again, I think things will just average out with Steph. The Warriors, by the way, are continuing to find role players who are Mm -hmm. unbelievable. Like, Kaminga, man, as of late... That dude shooting almost 35% from deep on the year. He's coming out athletically, is making unbelievable plays. Defensively is impressive. He is a dude. He can play in playoff series right now. I love him. Gary Payton is shooting like 77% on twos this year. I mean, they just get versatile impact dogs, and I love it. And here's the one thing I will say as Logan cracks up. It's to me clearly the best defense in the league. And I do believe in the offense. When Draymond Green plays this year, the Warriors are 28-6. and six. Mm-hmm. So, yes, there's been slippage. I understand that. When Draymond Green plays, they're 28-6. It's impossible to overstate how pivotal he is to what they do on both ends of the floor. And I still think, you know, there's a very, very legitimate chance that they are the title favorite to me once we see everything clicking because we saw how good they could be without Clay. And, you know, get healthy. Like, this is just an unfortunate midseason slump. Draymond Green being out changes everything. Steph Curry having off nights that he hasn't normally had in his career changes everything. I think the Warriors can. And, again, given how remarkable their role players are and how great they are defensively, probably will be my title favorite by the end of this regular season. I'm sorry, dude. Just Kuminga is a dude. Yeah. Killed me, bro. As opposed to being a lady. I'm, I'm happy to know. Or anything it, else. That killed me, bro. Um, he's I, yeah. a dude, bro. <laughs> he is a dude. He's a guy. He's a valuable dude in this rotation. And I think, I mean, that's the distinction that I make from, from years past that I make to other teams is 
just plug and play. It's a system, man. Like, and they have found guys. Gary Payton, Bielitsa, Damian Lee. You have Jordan Poole now actually producing. I don't expect this offense uh, to keep struggling. And again, people criminally underrate Draymond's value in this offense. You don't think that's played into it? You're damn right it's played into it. And you know what? He runs the offense. Come playoff time, you give me the best defense in the league, the two best shooters of all time, an offensive system where dudes just need to play smart basketball to win, that play their role and play hard with a guy who can serve buckets off the bench? To me, it's a no-brainer. No, I don't have them as my title favorite because I'm a guy who likes to gamble on predictions he made in the past, which was the Heat winning the finals, so I'm going to put my chips in on that. The Warriors, have it, had it not been for a hot, spicy preseason take, would be my title favorite still to this day. And right now, they're two out of six because I like to gamble and I like to cling on to takes way too long. But no, the Warriors are still great. I have no questions about them. Steph is going to get back on track. Draymond is going to get healthy. Like I, I just I think that I think that people just don't like the Warriors and that's why they hate on them a little too much. And yeah, Steph hasn't been great as of late. Whatever. They're yeah. gonna get better. Of all the things I'm not worried about, you know, Steph Curry has to be at the top of the list. So I think I probably still do have the Warriors as my title favorite, but the other two teams in this tier are remarkably complete. And uh, I don't know if there's a whole ton that I really need to say about them. I mean, the Suns have been the best. They have been the best team in basketball. It's been unbelievable what they've done on both ends. Fourth in offensive rating, second in defensive rating. We know the depth. I don't even know what I need to say about the Phoenix Suns. They're great, and they are 100% a title contender, front runner, whatever you want to say. I don't know if they'd be my pick right now. I don't think they would be, but they have been playing the best basketball on the planet as of late, and they're an unbelievable two-way team, and they have almost everything that you could look for in a contender. Uh, can I just say that Bismack Biombo uh, yes. is the X factor for this team? They're not well, going to know when he plays. He's not the X factor, but dude, Bismack Biombo exemplifies why the Suns are smart for not paying DeAndre Ayton. I mean, they are so productive when he's out there. He just play like guys like that in a system like this work. You know what I mean? And like like Bismack is not some transcendent talent. He does a very simple role. Mm-hmm. He does it very well, and he plays hard. And they've been great with them on the floor. Yeah, I don't know what to add, man. The Suns play literally perfect basketball. The Suns play beautiful basketball. I think Suns fans, we can go into that debate, get a little bit too much on their high horse and, you know, get a little preachy and, and flexy and think that they're, you know, the hottest shit For since real. sliced bread. They think they're the cat's pajamas, the bee's knees. Phoenix is really good. I think for me, they're number three right now. I think they have to be, but I still have the Warriors above them. Um I still think there's a higher offensive ceiling for the Golden State Warriors than there is the Phoenix Suns. Yeah. And that may come as a surprise when you have two isolation creators the caliber of Chris Paul and Devin Booker. I still fundamentally believe it because I still think the Warriors play a little bit better systematic basketball than the Phoenix Suns. But I digress. The Phoenix is really good. They play tremendous basketball on both ends. We kind of saw this last year. And I really like their depth. Um, Should I make the same broken record points that I always make when just my one criticism of the Suns as a contender? Sure, go for it. It is what you've said. It is the ability to create effortless offense. It is the reliance on really tough shot making from Book and CP. And it is the fact that they are not a team that creates volume three-point opportunities, even though they have good shooting, which just makes offense easier. That's it, okay? That's a little thing. And even still, they're a top four offense in basketball. The Suns are 
great. But I do agree with you. There is a higher ceiling for the Warriors still. Last team I have in this tier in my top three is the Milwaukee Bucks. I just think the Bucks are really, 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 really good. And I mm-hmm. think they make a very compelling case for being the title favorite. And honestly, I think maybe a more compelling case than the Phoenix Suns mm-hmm. do. And it's not totally based on what they've done this year. It's just based on what I think they obviously will do and will be capable of. Like, they are just very clearly better, I think, equipped as far as role players than they were last year. Mm-hmm. They're big three. Like, you really just expect the production to be the same thing by year's end. And I think they're like 21 and five when all three of those guys play. They're so complete. They're top seven on both ends. And the role player production has been unbelievable, dude. Bobby Portis is playing his best basketball ever. Grayson Allen, I think, is playing his best basketball ever, although he sucks, all right? And I hate that guy. Pat Connaughton is playing unbelievable basketball. Like, and then you just consider the fact that this last game was the first time we've seen Dante DiVincenzo look like Dante DiVincenzo. They didn't have him last year, bro. Like, he is really, really important. I have no idea what's going to happen with Brooke Lopez. The report since he had back surgery very early in the year has just been that he's out indefinitely. I, I don't really know what that means, but they've done this again without Brooke Lopez, who has been one of their four best players. This is a team that won the title last year. And so I just think with the versatility that this lineup presents, with Giannis being so clearly a top five player on the planet, top four player on the planet, a lot of people will think the best player on the planet, with what they can do on both ends, with their versatility, with how easy the offense comes to them, with the shooting that they have, with the multiple creators that they have, Bucks are nuts. I think, to me, with all due respect to the Miami Heat, they have to be the Eastern Conference favorite right now. There's an unbelievable ceiling with this team. And I just, like, think about the issues that I had with the Bucks teams of old. I just don't feel like I have them with this team. Like, they're just, on paper, better than they've ever been before. I don't really have a whole lot to add. The Bucks scare the shit out of me, dude. I yeah. want to see the Heat win just because, you know, I, I like flexing my muscle. I like being like, yeah, man, I was right because I'm not right on a whole lot of stuff. I had to wear a dunce cap for football season. Oh, come on. Um, you know, happens. Love yourself. <laughs> Giannis at the five, man, with Bobby Portis at the four, with Middleton Holiday, and then your pick of DiVincenzo, Grayson Allen, Jordan and Wara George. They're so versatile. They're so good at creating perimeter looks. And they've got two really good perimeter creators in isolation, man. And Chris Middleton, that man is a straight-up buck in more ways than one. I don't I don't really have a whole lot to add, man. The Bucks are deeper than they've ever been before, like you said. Brooke Lopez has not been out there. Dante DiVincenzo has been a shell of himself. They didn't even have him for the playoff run last season. Giannis makes a case for the being the best player on the planet. That man is unstoppable. Like... Yeah, man. I like logically the the logical part of my head wants me to say the Bucks are the title favorite out east. The heart part in me says that the Heat are. The Bucks are nasty. Um, I think you summed it up really well. And this is such a balanced attack, even compared to last year, dude. Everybody is pulling their weight. I have so many less questions about Chris Middleton. So many less. Nice redundant piece. 
I have less questions about them offensively. I have less questions about the Bucks in general. And they've gotten better. And they won the title last year. So, yeah. I, uh, the Bucks do make a really compelling case as the title favorite, period. Fewer questions. Yeah. English. <laughs> Let me read a dictionary, right? No, listen. I mess that up all the time. The only reason I pointed it out is because you emphasized so much what you were saying. Yes, I do, I guess, want to point out, as good as Middleton and Holiday are, they were so insanely inconsistent in last year's playoffs. Like, they really were, dude. And, you know, a title erases a whole lot. But <laughs> those guys played badly, and the Bucks lost. And they played badly too often. And kind of inherently inconsistent basketball players, to an extent. It's not enough for me to say I don't think they're the favorite out East. But I also don't think we should just wipe that from their resumes because they won a title. Because, you know, it has been a reality in their careers. Certainly Middleton, we've seen at the inconsistency as a scorer. And Drew Holiday was pretty darn up and down in their playoff run last year. But they're great. The role players are a completely different level. Their two-way ceiling has always been there. And we just haven't seen what the best version of them is going to look like. And that's scary. And that's what I think can be said for the Warriors, too. Those are the two teams that have been really, really good. Warriors have been outright great for most of the year, except for this recent drop-off. And I can really see them getting better, like very concretely, and that's what's scary. And, you know, you could throw, honestly, the Nets, the Jazz, the Heat, mm -hmm. I think all have more room to grow than the Suns. Sorry, Suns fans. I, I, you know, I don't mean to always just sound like I'm down on your team because I think it's unbelievable. I, I, don't, I don't even know how, like... That shocks me just hearing it off the dome. But, I mean, when you think about it, all of these teams have are so much better at creating the three ball. And the three ball swings series, swings games. And I'm not even saying that I think I would take them over the Suns. Mm -hmm. I'm just saying, who has more room to grow? Is it the Heat, who we haven't seen at full strength, really? The Nets, who we haven't seen at full strength, really? The Jazz, who have just had some uncharacteristically down performances? Or the team that, yeah, has been without DeAndre Ayton at times. But overall... You know, they're the Suns. They're a machine. They've had their guys, and they've been rolling. And I understand. I see some stuff. I agree with you, dude. I hate to say it because we're in Phoenix. I love a lot of Suns fans, but I also find it to be a pretty annoying fan base. <laughs> Bro, like, people come out and talk about, oh, yeah, really? Well, uh, you guys don't have these players, but we don't have this guy. And it's like, okay, do you understand that your starters missed, like, a combined six games this year? And I know you think it really sucks to not have DeAndre Ayton for 15 games, but you're probably still the luckiest team in the league in those terms. Like, it's the COVID year, man. Everybody's missing large chunks of times. Everybody has players who are hurt as well, it feels like, this year abnormally. Teams have dudes who outright aren't playing. You're not unlucky. I'm sorry. And again, you've got two guys that supplement 80% of DeAndre Ayton's value on a nightly basis in JaVale McGee and Bismack Biombo. And I know that's a hard pill for you Suns fans who really want to pay that guy a lot of money. It's a really hard pill to swallow. TBH, bro. Your Jared Allen take has aged wonderfully. Thank you. Like... I wish that I could say that without also having known that I didn't like the Jared Allen contract. <laughs> But also, hey, guess what, Suns fans? You're 37 and a nine. You're unbelievable. And you have probably the most solid foundation of any basketball team on the planet. So you're doing okay. All right. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. This was a fun one, I think. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed as well. 
And if you did, the good news is there is so much more nerd sesh content out there. Go ahead, check out our YouTube channel. You can see that that is where we do video essay, video breakdown content. I made a video about Anthony Simons this week that you can go ahead and check out. Logan has a video coming shortly. Go ahead, stay tuned in for all of that. Follow us on social media. Twitter is at nerd underscore sesh. Instagram and TikTok are both at nerd sesh. Twitch is at nerd underscore sesh as well. That's where we're streaming our content right now instead of YouTube. And TikTok is a place we're going to really start trying to ramp up our content. Logan just made a video today about his top five guys he would build a franchise around in the NBA. So go ahead, check all that out. TikTok is sort of an app, social media, where people do some silly dance moves and we're going to talk about sports. So check out all of those nerd sesh avenues and channels. And with that, as always... I have been Carson Brabber. I have been Logan Camden. And this was NerdSash. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.